1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. And today I have a guest who's going to share a lot of high-value actions that an Amazon seller can take. And um, so with that, uh, let's introduce him. So his name is Sabir, Sabir account, and he's a multi-talented Amazon consultant, but it really does not do justice just to call him an Amazon consultant. Because, first of all, he has a podcast of his own. It's called This Week with Sabir. And also, he's an author of a book called Rocket Ship to the Moon. He advises the sharks in Shark Tank. He worked with marketing gurus like Gary Vee, Matt Higgins, and others. And so, you know, this guy is all over the place. But really, it's all about value, growth. That's what he does. And he's been dealing with Amazon since Amazon started a category other than just books. So this goes back a couple of decades. So he knows what he's doing. So what we're gonna do is cover different aspects of it. But really, I wanna start with something that I I call, I mean, right now it's no longer as much as it used to be, but a best kept secret about building an Amazon account which you know very well about. So what is that secret and what do you do about it and how do you do it? So tell us all about it.
0: First of all, Nick, thank you for having me on your show. I love your show. Uh, Amazing content, really high value, really love it. Um, And thank you for that introduction. Uh, That's really appreciate uh, you going into that. Yeah, I mean, it's been a pretty long journey uh, and and with it comes uh, uh, plenty of deep scars learnings, you know, and then the more you learn from those experiences, the more you can take those experiences and, you know, share it not only for your own businesses, and I do have my own brands that I sell on Amazon, but also I um, help uh, through my uh, strategic consulting firm, I actually help uh, brands uh, really succeed on Amazon in a big way, you know. So one of the Biggest secrets, and, and it's, it will sound very common to you, but this is an important one, because even today in 2022, when we are recording this show, I still see brands, pretty big brands, not nail it, nail this one thing. And, and this one thing is, there are over 200 million active shoppers looking at products all day long, every day on Amazon, so it's a branding platform also right they think it's a shopping platform and you just put up a product but they don't do their products their brand justice, and they don't optimize their content on amazon so th- you know they miss out in a big way not not just the seo type search engine optimization hacks on amazon or subsequently from google.com because amazon is the most indexed site on 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 google the uh, they just miss out on, on telling their story, you know, when, when you look at, I mean, we will go into the details, but when you look at something like A plus content, it's also called enhanced content on a page. There are brands that own their brand registry and they don't do anything with A plus or what they do is they take one big photo and they just load it up and they go like, okay, here we go, we're, we're done, you know? And they don't really think about that space being an editorial space that's being viewed by so many people that they should be optimizing uh, that page, right? So that's number one. The second thing is what you and I talked about, uh, Nick, when you're building up a business, you should not just think about uh, selling the product on Amazon and that's your life and you're gonna be doing that for the rest of your life. You should think about, building a profitable business on Amazon because there's a whole ecosystem now that wants to acquire your business. If you have a tangible business where you have built an amazing product that sells really well, has amazing ratings and people keep on buying from you.
1: So that's really what I wanted you to get into because you're very, uh, you're intimately familiar with
0: that space. So
1: tell us about that ecosystem. Who, who is in that system and what is their interest area? What are they interested
0: in? So there are many, many different types of investors uh, that are interested in, in acquiring uh, Amazon type businesses, right? And as part of my consulting, not only do I help people figure out the um, optimizations they need to do their businesses, to grow their business, double their business, triple their business, and so on and so forth. But also, if the, if the business is ready, meaning that it's their product, they're not third party selling somebody else's brand, it's their product, you know, you go and manufacture your product and you're selling your private label brand, right? If it makes sense, then what I do is I work with a lot of different type of investor groups that I recommend that business, if the, if the owner is ready to make that decision in order to introduce them or refer them to uh, that, that type of uh, uh, investor depends on, on the size of the business. So if it's a, a business that somebody is looking into because they want to retire and, and they want to take their retirement funds and invest in a business that they could own into their reti- retirement, and there are people who are doing that. I mean, you've seen people when they're getting close to their retirement in a local shop in a, in a neighborhood, they buy that pizzeria or something like that. Uh, think of the same similar kind of situation when you are thinking of an Amazon business, right? Let's say you have a portfolio of three to five products that's doing really well. You have a good profit margin. It's working, but you're not hitting that hundred million dollars a year number that makes it interesting for a larger investor. But you're you're making you have surpassed that million dollar mark. You know now it's interesting. Let's say if that million dollar business, uh, one million dollar top line revenue, throws off let's say 200 to $250,000 a year, that's a nice living from a, 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 you know, net profit standpoint, right? That you could take a couple of multiples of it. Somebody might buy that business from you between 400 to $500,000, you know, and, and- And and who would be the
1: person or the, the, the organization buying it?
0: So it at that level, it could, it's an individual investor. It's an individual investor or- there are some acquisition companies that what they do is they they actually on a full time basis that's all they do. Now they they take your business, they don't own it. They have a network of investors. It, just think of them as LinkedIn, basically. Mm-hmm. They're the LinkedIn of of the you know of this kind of an echelon of individual investors. Not not private equity, and they're not uh, venture capitalists. They're purely. Uh, they have a portfolio of you and I, for example. You know. And we we could be part of that group, and then they can say, "Oh, you know what? We have this interesting company that's in personal care products. They sell three to five products on Amazon. They've been selling it for three, you know, a couple of years. Uh, they have they consistently make a million dollars in, in top line revenue. Uh, their cash flow is about you know $200, 250000 dollars. If that's that if that fits your lifestyle and that's what you want to you know, they they get their commission." from the seller uh, so that they can sell that business to you and then you end up owning it. So right. these
1: are individuals who are nothing to do with any institutional approach to investing. They're just basically looking for an income stream and they are finding Amazon sellers who already produce that with a good product line and write the check for it, is that right?
0: Yep, yep. And so that's- that's the beginning part of it. That's not the only type. That's one type of it. Sure. Know?
1: Yeah. So let's let's uh, really digest this this whole thing and and um, dissect it in in the process. So what is the valuation a, a seller can expect, and what is this revenue stream? What are the numbers that they ought to be hitting in terms of top line margins, net margins, and also define what margins are, because, you know, I'm sure, you know, people in this country, the very small percentage of them actually know how to run a business in terms of numbers and all all the calculations and things like that. So, and they have their own way of doing things. So define the numbers, what those numbers are, represent, and, and what are those numbers that they ought to be hitting?
0: Actually, that's a very interesting question because the question of margin is not same when you're looking at every business it runs very every category runs very differently, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when you are looking at margin, especially for an Amazon business, cost of goods sold should not be for your gross margin should not be just the number you're looking at. Cost of goods sold. Let's let's use a, a Nick as an example. Let's start with a. Let's say if your product is hundred dollars, one hundred dollars retail that's what you're selling on amazon $100 obviously that's not an optimal number for amazon but let's say that's the number right to keep the math simple now if you make that product for $20 right that means that your the cost of making that product just making the product is $20 right what you should also consider in that number for your to get to that gross margin number the gross profit number should be you should think about if you're producing this in china overseas in vietnam in india you know wherever you're producing it it's going to cost you freight to bring that product from that location over let's say if if you need to bring it into the us amazon us market marketplace because i'm sure that you have listeners from all over the world I'm, i'm i'll use amazon us as an example when you bring that, putting that your pallets on a ship and it takes four months for it to arrive here, it's gonna cost money, it's not free. And during during this pandemic, what happened was all of the container costs have gone up. So when that goes up, that means that should be considered. You should not put that separately. You should put that as part of your... So when you put that number and bring it into your warehouse, right? And from your warehouse, now it now is in the United States. So there's a cost from China. Let's use China as an example. China to US, it costs you money. You ordered a thousand units. Let's say per unit, it costs you, I don't know, two dollars. Two dollars per per unit. So now your cost getting it to United States is $22. Right? Yeah. Now when you are looking at um from your warehouse, now you're selling on Amazon. Let's say that's your only, only channel. You have to get it from your warehouse to the FBA warehouse. There's a freight cost associated with that. Mm-hmm. right? Say Whatever that number comes out, let's say per unit, it costs you another, I don't know, $1.50. So it's not $22, it's $23.50. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, now, this from China to the FBA warehouse is what I would call your landed cost. Mm -hmm. This is your true landed cost now, right? For an Amazon business, what I do is before I get to the gross margin line, I also put in because Amazon charges you for selling that product on the platform. Let's say you're an Amazon seller, not an Amazon vendor. Let's say if you're an Amazon seller. As an Amazon seller, on average, you you give them about 15% commission right? Depends on the category. Most categories are 15%. So 15%, when you when you give that, that's not 15% off of your cost or profit. It's from the sale price. Let's say that $100. So $15 is what you're paying to Amazon just to list your product and sell it on the platform. If you're selling every unit, you're going to be charging $15. So $23.50 plus $15 is $38.50, right? Mm-hmm. so that's that's one. Now, if you are, let's say if you're not, because you're doing FBA, on, in my experience, you have to determine what your true FBA charges are. Mm-hmm. My guess is it's going to be between 18 to 20% of your selling price, but it depends on the size of your box, how big the package is, if it's an odd size or whatever. There are exceptions to the rule, but on on average, it tends to be 18 to 20%. If, if we call that 20%, That means hundred dollars. It's going to cost you uh, maybe this, this hundred dollar product is $20 for FBA, right. Mm -hmm. For prime fulfillment, because you want that check mark that says prime, right? So that's another $20. So now $38, 50 cents plus $20 is $58 and 58, 50 cents. Mm -hmm. Right. We started with 20. Uh, This is where a lot of businesses get into a lot of, a lot of trouble. Because they, when they think about or go like, oh my God, I just did a competitive and price analysis. I can get this thing. uh, I can sell it for hundred bucks. I can buy it for twenty bucks. No, for an Amazon selling business, that hundred dollars that you sold, when when I look at now, this is the true cost of goods sold, true COGS. Mm -hmm. When you add all these numbers up, in our in this example was fifty eight dollar fifty cents. My true cost of goods is 58.5%. Mm-hmm. So that means 41.5% is my actually my my margin.
1: Okay. 40%. So uh, so you 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 bundled everything together as far as making one sale on Amazon what is the margin and so uh, tell me what you think about this. So when I work with my clients uh, I basically tell them look you have to monitor three separate buckets and you must know your number for each one of those buckets. First of all, starting with your $100 example, landed cost is key and landed cost is the freight bringing it into the u.s i don't include fba sending it to fba mainly because that changes you know sometimes you have a small shipment sometimes you have a large shipment so on average yeah so um so i don't include that but what i include is just the landed cost because they will bring that merchandise in and they're not necessarily going to send it just to amazon they may sell it you know they may do wholesale they may do So what is their true landed cost is freight, duty, anything, you know, broker's fees, whatever to clear shipments. It's all included and packaging, even packaging of products. So all that lumped together with the actual price of the item they pay their uh, supplier. That's the landed cost. So that's bucket number one. Bucket number one is what is your cost of goods sold, raw cost of goods sold. And you deduct the raw cost of goods sold from the sale price. And whatever that profit is, you divide that by the sale, the actual sales, that's your gross margin. So I say you better stay on top of your gross margin because everything else that you're going to spend will come off of that. So if you don't know what that gross margin is at all times, real time, you are leaking. Your operation is leaking, could be leaking. So that's bucket number one, cost of goods sold and gross margin. Bucket number two is what I call selling expenses. Selling expenses include fulfillment fees and not just the FBA fee. FBA fee, that's for Amazon fulfilling your orders. Storage fees, other bits and pieces that Amazon charges, that they have a, a zillion line items that they'll hit you with. And it comes out of nowhere. Your returns, your refund, all those things are your selling expenses. But I, I put them under fulfillment expenses because it, that's what it is. For using Amazon, that's what you are having to do the the returns are not part of that returns actually get offset against the sale whatever sale so that you look at your net sales but any other fees associated with returns and things like that they go under fulfillment that's uh fulfillment part and then there's the amazon commission part so though and if they are doing website sales there are other bits and pieces like merchant account fees and all those fees so those three headings go under selling expenses. And you better know at all times what your selling expenses are as a percentage of the top line. Mm -hmm. And that cannot change. So that's bucket number two, because if it's changing, you are either spending too much money on fulfillment or you're paying too much commission or there is an accounting error. Because if there's an accounting error, your cost of goods sold will be wrong or something else will go. So that's the second bucket. And the third bucket, of course, deduct the cost of goods sold, deduct the selling expenses, what is left. And that's what I call the net margin. So net margin of course is not net profit for the organization, but it's the net margin. So, So I say to them, make sure before even you start selling a piece or you even list an item, set that revenue model up and then stay on top of it at all times, real time, because inventory is, uh, is, is a major factor here. And if you don't know that you're hitting the right numbers consistently, something is leaking somewhere, which means that you're not gonna have the money that you thought you were gonna have in your pocket. So, uh, what is your take on this, or is this like too much?
0: No, so it's very similar to what you, you and I are saying—the same thing. Mm-hmm. But the, the way I look at, because Amazon has its own nuances, what I do is the PNL, the profit and loss—you uh, know, spreadsheet or you know, forecast that you look at—I keep the Amazon PNL separate because all the components related to that business is separate. Yes. That's what I meant. Why allocating the right expenses well, for for getting the freight for the amazon pnl specifically because amazon has its own nuances for example you actually brought up an interesting point earlier with the other expenses that amazon charges you other uh, the types of surcharges and and other fees you really have to stay on top of it and there are tools you could use if you don't know how to do it manually uh, you know for example a platform like helium 10 allows you to actually look into your account and see where there are problems with, you know, overcharging or wrong charges so that you could actually submit it for a refund Mm -hmm. uh, so that you can get that money back if there were wrongful charges that were put on there. And Amazon is not unique with that. I mean, before Amazon, I used to deal with UPS and FedEx uh, and and they used to have in their line items used to have those problems too, you know? So every business has, you know, wrong charges and stuff because operations versus accounting those are two very different distinct organizations in any company you know and amazon is not any different in that aspect uh so amazon number one amazon pnl have it as a separate pnl don't if you for example you, you brought up an interesting point let's say if i have a retail store i have wholesale accounts i have a shopify store and i have amazon seller account right those four things you could unify them into one unified PNL, but for each one of those channels, you should have a separate PNL for each one of them. For example, when you're running a direct business through Shopify, for example, you're going to have things like a call center, you're going to have representatives, call, you know, support representatives, and stuff like that. Things that are, do you need them for Amazon FBA? The answer is no, because Amazon, if, you, if your product is FBA, Amazon takes care of customer service and those types of things for you. Right. So th- there are components in that PL that would be very different. Right. The reason I pull a lot of these numbers into the true cost of goods sold is because I-, I want the owner, and you and I are doing a very similar kind of thing. I want the owner to know that in that example of $100, that $60 is their true cost of goods sold. That means I've not run a lick of marketing spend yet. Marketing is another bucket. So out of that now, and there are incidental surcharges and other types of things, those are operating expenses of the business. If you have somebody who takes care of communicating, seller reviews, stuff like that, you're going to, you're going to have somebody working on you, salaries and wages and stuff that would be operating expenses. And then uh, marketing expenses would be if you're running ads on Amazon, uh, you know, on the Amazon platform, or if you have influencers outside of the Amazon platform or external ad platforms, that drive traffic into your site. Those are all additional costs and it depends on the type of business you're running. But that per unit, the max you could spend in all of those buckets, all summed up in the outside of the true COGS, operating expenses and marketing cannot be more than $40. Yeah.
1: Because if it's
0: $40, it's going to be in this example of $100, $40, that means you did not make any money. You broke even, it's zero. You better have a business that has replenishment built into it so that it's a toothpaste that people have to come back every, or a vitamin that they have to come back every 30 days that they need to buy it because they run out, but you acquired them. They love the taste of your toothpaste or they, they took their vitamin supplements and they feel amazing. So they want to keep on coming back to you. So that's the max you could spend. That doesn't mean marketing spend. That means marketing plus operating expenses. So that's your max per unit you could spend on that. And then there's a math you could do there to say, oh, you know, out of the forty dollars, my, my max for marketing spend is twenty dollars because the other twenty dollars per unit I need to pay my light, you know, electricity, utility bills, you know, uh, paying uh, wages and stuff like that. So that's how you calculate those kind of numbers. Bring it down to the unit so that you really have, you really can communicate to the marketing person. Let's say if it's an outside agency. Or, or your internal person, you can say, look, my cost per order is $15, that's it. I cannot spend any more than that. And when I do $15, I want it to be new acquisition, not, not existing customers, you know? So that if, if if they keep on bringing the same customers back, now you're all you're doing is you're selling your orders and, and you're not gonna ever break even, ever.
1: Yeah, so ultimately the, this is all about really identifying the line items and their significance of them. And because some of them are non-negotiable, for example, your FBA fee, non-negotiable, you're gonna pay that no matter what, if you make a sale. Your Amazon commission, non-negotiable, you're gonna pay that if you make a sale. Your advertising is something that will bring you more sales. But now what's important is what percentage of every sale you bring in, you are spending on an advertising, right? So that's the ROI. So um, these are things that you really have to go in prepared, knowing what numbers will be healthy for you. And the other ugly truth is at the beginning, you're gonna spend more than what you bring in. So every dollar that you bring in in sales, you're gonna probably spend that dollar just on advertising, and you'll be out out of pocket on the merchandise and Amazon commission and FBA fee. But that's the cost of building a brand, right? So, um, tell me about what is acceptable when you are starting and building a brand. What is acceptable to spend in in your advertising campaigns as a percentage of your sales?
0: So, here I have. I'll tell you about the rule that I have. But the thing is, your product, the thing is if you are starting at zero, new brand, new product, right? Nobody knows you, right? It's the, uh, how do you pronounce your last name, Uresin? Uresin, yes. Uresin, so it's Uresin brand. It's a new toothpaste. Nobody knows what a Uresin toothpaste is. Nobody knows what Uresin is as a brand. Nobody knows what Uresin toothpaste is as a product, right? Mm -hmm. So if you look at the toothpaste category, you can see colgate crest all of the names household names you, you and i have grown up on right all of our lives they dominate the category so how much do you, are you willing to spend in your launch year or la- first 3 years of launch to build up your brand so that you crack that first page so that your product is at least represented on that first page right of a result you know search results when somebody types in toothpaste Tartar control, right? Mm-hmm. That I'm using toothpaste as an example here. It could be anything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when you do that, it, it depends on what your goal is there. If your goal is, we're, we're going back to the topic, we, we talked about building a brand that you want it to be acquired. It, wh- who wants to acquire a brand that sits on a page 50 on, on a search result on toothpaste, Tartar control? Nobody, right? Mm-hmm. Then you just literally shut down the business, and it's not worth it anymore. If if you are on that first page, you don't have to be number one necessarily. Even though number one gets most of the most of the clicks, sixty six percent of the clicks go to the first row, right? But if you build enough, that you there, it becomes interesting that on that first page, when people are making a sales decision to click on a product, uh, a purchase decision, they're looking at Colgate, they're looking at Crest. Now they're looking at your, your uh, uh, and it says, oh, 10,000 reviews, it's four and a half stars. And everybody else has three and a half stars. And then when they click into it, your content on that PDP page is amazing, right? You you, you present the product. Like I said to you, there are p- pretty big brands that they don't represent themselves properly on the platform. It's a, a lot of revenue lost opportunity, you know, in my, in my view, right? From my experience. But the brands that actually do like yours and toothpaste could be positioning itself really well on that page so that you, now you are getting to that, to that level. So whenever I am advising clients, you know, especially when it's new, new, new brand, new product, right? Nobody knows you it's to come up with a launch strategy, right? There's a whole strategy behind, uh, behind a launch strategy that when you put the product up, you have to think about, there are two ways to pay for that, uh, to, for you to rank, right? One, obviously sponsored ads, you can take it, and it could be a combination of the two things I'm talking about. Sponsored ads that that you could buy, if your pockets are deep enough, you can keep on advertising you know, in a smart way so that you can keep on building. Mm-hmm. One for one, you said, you know, $1 I spend, I get $1 in revenue. You know, in the beginning, it may make sense, but how deep is your pocket for you to keep on doing that in order to get get to that first page, right? Mm-hmm. And number two, the other way to pay for it is since you are introducing a product, you could do a what's called a ninety percent discount, right? You're doing lightning deal, you know that's one way to do it. You could be dropping the price for a while, even if you're not running a lightning deal so that you get that and you can get your product adoption up. You know, it's not just about sales in the beginning. It's about product adoption, especially if it's a replenishable product. If it's not a replenishable product, the strategy I'm talking to you about does not apply to you, right? For example, if I buy a refrigerator, I'm not going to buy another refrigerator tomorrow or 30 days from now, I'm going to buy it five years or 10 years from now.
1: So what you are suggesting is offer deep discount at the launch for consumable products, but not for one-time
0: purchases. Yeah. Or purchases that have a longer latency, meaning that between purchases, you know, Mm. um, you know, for, for example, most of the personal care products, vitamins, supplements, household items. You know, you need to replenish them every 30 days, 45 days. Great, great products. You know, as long as you have the margin in it, good luck. Go go into it.
1: So what do you, what is your take on, because as you know, all this is going to Amazon's algorithm. And Amazon algorithm favors several things. And one of them is the order value. So if your order value is really very low, then obviously it's not going to, provide the, the high ranking as something that is higher priced would. Uh, on the other hand, by offering a 90% discount, obviously you're going to have a much better conversion. So uh, not to mention, you are also going to be losing money by offering 90%. So um, how? what is your take on all this? What is a good mix discount versus conversion or, and also what I heard is this offering these heavy discounts, Amazon does not favor them as much.
0: No, as as part of your launch strategy, it makes sense. You know, you should you should definitely do it. But to your to the statement you just made, fundamentally, what does Amazon care about? Right. Number one. When you think about RFM, recency, frequency, monetary value, those are three metrics and profitability too. But the three important things are recency, frequency, monetary value, right? Of a customer, right? Which one does my, uh, does Amazon focus on? Amazon always focuses on frequency as an Amazon, for an Amazon customer. You know why it makes logical sense, right? If people are coming to amazon.com for their next need, whatever that need is, right? Toothpaste to buying Lysol to home cleaning supplies to a mop, to a ladder, to whatever, you know, in their lives, the frequency of that customer is important to, to Amazon. So the more frequent a customer comes back and you fall into your, your product needs to be replenished every two weeks, every four weeks. And people are signing up for your subscribe and save, right? Cause you give them an extra 5% off or something like that. Frequency plays a huge role in that right? More than more monetary, more than recency frequency, because when they're coming to the logic is when they're coming to Amazon, they're not going to target. They're not going to Walmart. They're not going to shop in their local stop and shop, right. Or Pathmark or, you know, Kroger's or whatever, you know, they're not going to a physical store the frequency of that consumer. So if you take that and translate it into your product, What is the frequency? I'm not saying for you to make smaller products, but if you have a product that lasts you 90 days, there are two reasons for you to do that. One, 90 days takes that consumer out for 90 days. They're not in the market for vitamin C anymore because the bucket that they bought from you is gonna last them 90 days, right? They're not buying vitamin C from anyone else. They just bought it. They have it for 90 days, right? But at the same time, so that but the cost of that would be higher, obviously, but if that same vitamin C example, if it was for twenty five days or thirty days supply, now it's a third cheaper potentially, and you can put it on subscribe and save because people the things that last ninety days the the possibility of putting it on a subscribe and save is harder, right because okay. they go like okay I'm, i I have it for ninety days, I don't know if I want to buy it, but thirty days oh. Well, I'm gonna run out. I want Amazon to keep on delivering this because I don't want to stop, not stop taking my whatever I'm taking. So
1: tie all these back to what we started talking about at the beginning about selling your company. How does how does it impact that sale value?
0: So cash flow for any business, especially Amazon seller businesses, cash flow is key, right? Product adoption is key. Uh, You talked about what's the multiple, right? The typical multiple, depending on the category, as long as you have good, uh, I mean, the cost of goods, that's why it's so important for you to know your true COGS because that's the level of investment. Anyone who's acquiring you needs to invest in in that in order to see the cash flow, right? Mm -hmm. Unless there's an internal rate of return, meaning that the the inventory you're getting is going to sell and then you can take the cash flow and dump it into new inventory. Other than that, you have to, you have to keep on investing uh, money into it in order to, if I'm acquiring that business, that's what I need to continue doing in order to spit out in that $1 million example, uh, to, to spit out $200,000, $250,000 know, after everything has been paid, right? But now if this business is growing and it has become a, a, a category leader, or at least in the top five products or top 10, 10 products, it becomes interesting for a lot of other companies too right? It could be a strategic partner. In that example of of toothpaste, maybe the way you're making your toothpaste is sustainable and you have a very specific, it's vegan, and it's a very specific category of consumers that are buying from you that Crest or Colgate does not have at all. That's another category of potential acquisition that those guys would look at your business and go like, oh, they only sell on Amazon. They are consistently on the first page. We would love to acquire them and make it a Colgate product that says Colgate vegan, you know, for example.
1: So what is the multiple that you could be looking at in order to sell your business?
0: It's, it's typically it's uh, two to three X of your cash flow. Mm-hmm. So in that example of a million dollars, you know, if, if you're putting out 200K, that means that at the max, you'll get like, 600k for that business and, but it depends on the category of the product
1: yeah and and what is a good number obviously that doesn't mean that if your sales are a hundred thousand dollars and then you put pocketing twenty thousand, then that nobody's going to write you a check for 60 grand so what what is the 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 attractive
0: i mean operation? that 100k business by the way i don't want to turn off people who are the lowest end if they if it's a 100k business uh, it's there are marketplaces that you could actually list your product, right? And, and you can list your business for sale, and you could sell sell yourself. You know, nobody else is gonna sell it for you. You could list it yourself, and sell it. And maybe somebody wants to give you, like, let's say, if that hundred thousand dollar business spits out twenty thousand mm-hmm. uh, dollars, you know, somebody may be willing to give you forty k for it. You know, mm-hmm. you know, to to acquire that because they know that okay, within two years. Let's say if I acquire it, I know that that $100,000, I might be able to flip it very quickly, turn it into a million dollar business and sell it for 600K like a year from now.
1: Well, so let me give you my take on this. You're right. You know, you have these things, you know, that's the the beautiful thing about freedom, right? So you can do anything you want. So you freedom to succeed, but also freedom to fail. So there are all these different things going on where you can sell your business listed and blah, blah. So the reality is, if you're selling a business, you're going to hire a lawyer. So what I'm getting at is the costs to sell or costs to acquire. And in some cases, some of those costs, they get lumped in with your other costs. So if you are only going to get $40,000 by the time you hire a lawyer and no acquisition is going to be in two, three weeks, it's going to last several months. It's going to tie you down. So I hear you. You're right. Categorically speaking, these things are available, but do they make business sense? In my opinion, absolutely not. Because it's going to take your focus away from actually running and building and growing that business. So I always say to people, look, set yourself goals that make business sense. And and those goals need to deliver value when you achieve. So so that way you can actually put a good amount of money in your pocket, go through the motions comfortably, and and at the end of the day, you know whatever happens in the process, it doesn't hurt to sell, because otherwise it becomes a little bit, you know, it becomes not worth it basically.
0: No, so, I mean you're 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 absolutely right about the cost of selling a business is also a cost. You know, whether it's a lawyer, it's an, a certified accountant that has to certify uh, audit your 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 financials, to um, uh, getting a um, uh, due diligence all of those kinds of things, some of this stuff is bought by the buyer, you know, the due diligence part of it because you're providing them, if your your records need to be certified that, that this is legitimate and yeah. <laughs> that, that they're, you're, they're not selling you garbage, you know, basically, and uh, collecting 40K in that example, right? There is a cost associated with it. It does take you away. Like in the, the example would be, if you're building that sort of a business, you're selling it because you want to get out of the category. You don't. You're not interested in running that. You you want to either shut it down or you want to get some value for it. That that would be something that to consider. But you have. To, you're absolutely right. You there are expenses related to yeah. uh, selling a business because even if the platform makes it easy for you to, um, you know, I, like an exchange type of a platform where it allows you to sell the product, or, you know, sell your business. Or list your business for sale. The the fact is you have to um, you, you have to consider that you have to have your lawyer. You have to transfer that business yeah. le- legally with all. If it's a brand registry, I mean, there's all mechanics of transferring well, the ownership. This is,
1: this is an important uh, point. Also, you know, people don't really appreciate what's involved. But in, in my opinion, and because I've had this experience myself not just to buy my business, but to invest in it. First of all, it takes time. And during that process, you are opening your books. You are telling them everything about the business because, you know, they're going to buy. So they need to know. You can't hold things back. So there are actually acquirers, so-called acquirers, that are just fishing. It's a fishing expedition so and they are and they prey on these smaller operations, because they get all excited and blah blah and beggars can't be choosers kind of situation they are small they can't be so. So, and the next thing is they learn all about not their numbers, their suppliers, how they get it made and what their cost structure and what kind of numbers they are talking about in terms of profitability. And who they use, and blah blah. And then the next thing is, yeah, you know what? We changed our mind. Or they offer something that's real, you know, unattractive. So in the end, there is no deal, but in the process, you are drained. Of course, the worst thing is uh, assuming that you're gonna sell the company and you're gonna get so much money that you go <laughs> <laughs> spend that money. On. So that's why that's why I say you know, build something of value and then also build it in a, with the intention to sell, but assuming that you will never sell it. So in other words, ready, always be ready to walk away at any point in time during that acquisition process. And then, and in, and keep pushing the business, even when somebody says, okay, I'm definitely interested. Until you have the cash in the bank, the sale is not final, and until then you should be only thinking about growing the business right so what do you, I mean am I too cynical
0: no, no you're you're absolutely right. Are there bad actors uh in the mix? The answer is yes uh, I mean some of the some of the bad actors unfortunately are service providers also yeah. they they're disguising themselves as a buyer, potential buyer, just to get into that business and then come back and go like, "Oh, you know what why don't we become partners or we will acquire it. We will run it and then we'll give you the money out, you know, but their, their intention is to sell their services, not necessarily to buy your company at all. So you have to be, you have to be very careful. One thing that I I would, even though we are talking about building your business for acquisition, what I will do is uh, say something contrarian to what I, to the topic. Mm -hmm. Uh, I follow Warren Buffett's advice all the time, value investing. When you're building your business, you should be building it that you, with, with a goal that you never want to sell it. Because if you have that sort of a mindset, you will build an incredible value for that business. That means your brand is going to be top-notch. Your product is going to be top-notch. Because if you are going into a business with a mindset of, oh, I want to sell it, then what happens? The product suffers, the brand suffers. You'll make, right. make second guessing or you're not. You're not really investing in the business the way you should be investing in the business when it's required for you to grow it properly because it's a living, breathing thing. If you don't take care of it, it's going to die. It's going to, the losses are going to mount. You're going to have bigger problems, right? Mm-hmm. But you should be with, your mindset should be, oh, I, I want to build it. I want to build a value here that I would never, ever want to sell. But, you know, if if one day comes that you are doing so well in that business, the bigger guy comes in and says, hats off to you. You're doing such an incredible job here. We would love to acquire your company and and, and make it part of our family. Yeah, and, and then you attitude. have the upper hand in that discussion. Yeah, exactly. You're no longer fishing anymore, trying to find somebody to acquire your business. You have built an incredible value.
1: Yeah, I mean, that attitude actually gets you the best valuation as well. So, so that's always a good thing. So the, I want to talk about, something in the few minutes we have left Uh, when we first uh, had discussions about everything that you're doing one of the things that you mentioned which is an interesting operation is joint ventures so because you are also currently selling on amazon you have your product lines yep so i'm in several
0: uh, joint ventures right now
1: yeah so tell us a little bit about what that looks like And how do you go about it? And how do you structure it? Just uh, so that people have an idea.
0: So joint ventures don't always go the right way. So that's the number one warning I can give you, right? joint ventures are like a marriage. You know, you want to know who you're partnering up with. And going back to that value statement I made, you're going to be with them for the rest of your life or the life of that company or the brand, right? Mm -hmm. So you really need to do your homework into what, how you're getting into you know and what are you getting into just like in real life you have prenuptial agreement <laughs> prenups you need to have you need to set expectations and an operating uh you know guide between the partners who are involved to say who's responsible for what mm-hmm. and it should be very clear right this before you anybody signs anything it should say who's going to do the marketing who's going to run the daily operations who's going to manufacture the products Who's gonna be responsible for the cost of, because initially you're it, both in investing your, in that. In your,
1: in your experience, what is a successful formula? Who, who should do what?
0: It depends on your experience in, in that joint venture because entrepreneurs come from many different backgrounds, right? Let's say, let's use an example, right? If somebody, and, and, and this is very likely the case, right? Most of the Amazon sellers, they tend to be, uh, they fall into two buckets. Either they're very good marketers and they know how to sell on the platform, right? So they know uh, how to, if you give them anything, they would know how to go and sell it, right? Mm-hmm. The other camp, which is the other group, it's a gigantic group, is people who have amazing product ideas. They have actually manufactured the product on their on their own, but they don't know how to market that product. Whether it's Amazon, Shopify, retail stores, wholesale, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. They just don't have that skill set. They are just amazing at producing that widget that they just created, but they have no idea how to sell that product, right? Mm-hmm. So, depending on which aisle you belong to, is one of the other one or the other, right? Either you're an amazing marketer and you can sell anything, or you you know how to produce the product and you manufacture the product. You know how to go through, you know either at least you have an inkling of how to go through patents and you know safeguard your IP and stuff like that, right? Let's say you're on that aisle. If those are the two, if you're one of these two, like let's say if you're a marketer and, and you're looking for an amazing uh, product, but this product, uh, uh, this, you know, this, this person gen- creates amazing ideas. That's a very good joint venture, right? That's, that you could make that agreement. Like you produce ideas for the product and manufacturing and the know-how comes from you. I'm going to take that thing, whatever widget you create, I'm going to sell the hell out of it. Right, that's gonna be that's gonna be my responsibility. Right now, that's a good marriage. That's that's a good marriage to start. What name
1: with. does the salary account get set up for?
0: Oh, that is an LLC, a, a separate corporation. That's a joint venture, and then you are co-owners of that the, of that uh, corporation. So that's
1: no longer than joint venture. It's a real partnership then.
0: Yeah, it is. It is. Okay. No, so that's 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 the legal way of, of uh, doing it because you have to create a separate entity with its own liability, with its own uh, so entity. I that... had,
1: so tell me what your take is on, on, on something that I had done for a few of my clients. I call them not necessarily joint ventures. I mean, they are joint ventures, but they are revenue sharing. So okay. what I say is, a company, because as you know, there is value in having a, an Amazon account that has good ratings, history, and everything else. There's huge value in that. Yep. Uh, so uh, let's say that somebody has a seller account. They have their products. doesn't matter you know, whether it's their products or they are doing arbitrage, but they've got an established Amazon operation under their seller account. And somebody comes along with product ideas, or they already have products that they built with their brands either way. And they say, look, but they don't have an Amazon account. They've always done wholesale. So they say, okay, how do we work together? So what I recommend and structure is the products are shipped by the product owner or merchandise inventory owner to Amazon facility. And they are listed under the seller's name. And whatever is sold, that is what gets shared between the two parties. And of course you can do the sharing based on different principles. Typically what I recommend is selling expenses are clear because you pay the Amazon commission, you pay the uh, FBA fees and everything else. So you deduct those, take off the returns, and whatever is left will split 50-50 or 60-40, 20, whatever. If there is no advertising involved, if there is also advertising involved, you can deduct the advertising cost. But basically, the the partner that I, I call that the inventory partner is now getting a share of the top line revenue rather than sell wholesale, they're selling retail and they are taking a share of it. And, but inventory is their risk because they may ship a thousand pieces and 300 pieces get sold and they only get paid for those 300. The other 700 will still be sitting at the Amazon facility waiting to be sold. So that is a, a kind of a partnership, that I recommend. This does not require LLCs, it just requires a fairly well outlined agreement. Contract, yeah. agreement, But which is called revenue share. It's not even profit share, it's revenue share. And you define what will be deducted and how often you're going to report. But then of course, you have to have somebody keeping the account of it. And uh, so, so basically every time you're paying them, you pay them their share of the net proceeds, plus the value of the inventory sold. So, that's, that's, uh, so what is your take on a relationship like this? I mean, no, I mean, uh, that,
0: those, those are very effective because if you think about the Amazon algorithm, if that account has a great selling history, right? So, and if a brand uh, you know, does not have that level of history or because they're starting at zero, right? Uh, writing on that Amazon seller account is really smart you know cuz you are circumventing it right mm-hmm. are there pros and cons to that the answer the answer is pretty obvious right yeah. uh, the 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 brand benefits from the fact that it's you utilizing a platform a, a seller account that that's established so they're they're getting their positive from that aspect and the other thing is the product adoption can go up on amazon also so that's another positive meaning that in most cases consumers don't know who they're buying from on Amazon. They, they're buying from Amazon, they're not buying, they don't know if they're buying from, from Sabir or from Nick, they don't know yeah. that, right? Yeah. So in, in that scenario, the brand is actually getting that, if it's a replenishment business, let's say if that uh, relationship lasts maybe three years and now we have good traction for the product, the brand is winning in that aspect, right? Yeah, so brand can
1: go start their own salary count. Yeah.
0: Right, yeah, exactly. But at the same time, I mean, the risk that the seller account is doing is they're getting cash, basically. Exactly, exactly. They're loaning, they're loaning their seller account, and and, and they're yeah. b- benefiting. And the relationship, even though you're calling it something else, it is very similar to. Uh, it, it, it's it's like um um, what do you call that? It, it's like an escrow, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, there it, has to be trust because. The biggest, uh, and I always tell this to sellers, look, go seek out revenue share relationships as much as you can, because you won't be worrying about financing inventory. It's their inventory. And of course they are being rewarded for taking that risk because the selling at retail, but nevertheless, it's not your problem. So it's a big deal. So, um, okay, well, I mean, this is this is a very different conversation than <laughs> I usually have, but this is what makes it very interesting because people are doing, you know, they they advertising PPC, keyword optimization, you know, bullets and pictures and A+. Okay, fine, but what is it for? And that's what this conversation was about. So, uh, so Sabir, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, where do you live? and uh, what are your passions, and what do you like doing in your free time, and also how people can find you?
0: Sure. Uh, the best place to find me is if you go to my site, I have all of my, you mentioned my show, all my re- show recordings are on there uh, this week with Sabir. Uh, it's on uh, growthbysabir.com, like, like it says on, on the screen here, uh, growth, B-Y-S-A-B-I-R.com. Uh, if you go there all the social links are there you can find me I, I actively uh, post on all of the social platforms pretty much I'm on every platform and I post regularly on every platform so you could you could definitely find my follow me and you can follow the content if if I can help your Amazon business or any other e-commerce needs you can you can reach out to me and I can I can definitely help with that I, I live in New York City uh, that's where I live it's extremely cold today yesterday was 68 degrees Fahrenheit, and today it's 30 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's the fluctuation we get in New York. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's the weather uh right now. Uh and um what do I do? I, I, I love growing businesses, that's what I do. I, I love doing that, whether I'm doing it for the sharks, I'm doing it for for, for uh through my consulting firm or my own brands. I, I work in many different aspects. I've worked in almost every product category you can imagine over the past 25 years. So uh, if uh, I even helped a landscaping company that supplies, a landscaping equipment company that supplies landscaping products to all the landscapers in the United States, one of the biggest one, you know? So uh, I've worked in very, very interesting and very odd categories that you can't even imagine, you know? So it's not just the consumable products that we discussed throughout this interview. So if you have a challenge, if you need my help, that I could be helpful in that aspect, uh, you know, go, go to my site and, uh, and hit me up with your question and, and we can explore to see if we can work together.
1: Great, great. Well, thank you very much. This has been extremely valuable. I'm sure people will benefit. So um, with that, uh, this brings us to the end of another episode and uh, I'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure and subscribe, rate, and review our show. And be sure and share an episode with a friend. And thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next week here on Amazon Legends.